Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. I want to make a couple of announcements before we get into today's teaching. Um, the following locations are preparing for Sukkot, which will quickly be upon us. What, four or five, about five weeks, isn't it? Um, here, of course, in Oregon, we've only got a couple of um, opening spots left. It's almost full. Um, we also have Sukkot in uh, Torah to the Tribe, Sukkot in Georgia. Oklahoma and Missouri now. Missouri. Missouri signed up. So we are opening up Torah to the Tribe Sukkot in Missouri. So if you would like some information about that, sign up, get your camping spots ready and your Sukkot branches ready. Info at TorahToTheTribes.com. So get to have a little bit of a journey today. What I hope is that everybody has got a notepad and pen. Even better, your scriptures and a pencil. Because I think the best way for us today to go forward is to make, find a page in your scriptures where you can write down all the scriptures that I'm going to give you today. Because we're going to do something different today. We're going to do a teaching using, as Martin Luther would say, sola scriptura. I'm going to actually use a keynote presentation because we're going to go through the Bible from Bereshit, Genesis, all the way through to the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, to find out and track Who are the people of God? Not my opinion, not the Pope's opinion, not the Church of England's opinion, but the biblical explanation of who are the people of God. And why do I choose this particular time to do this particular teaching? Because we have spent several seasons in the New Testament, in the Brit Hadashah, and we've had... Over the past couple of years, many people joining us online that are new to this teaching, that are coming into the feasts and festivals from a traditional Christian background. And as I've gone through the books of Hebrews, Galatians, and now Romans, I've been throwing around some terms like the dispersion and Israel scattered to the nations, and Ephraim, and Judah. And many of us that have been traveling together for many years, we're familiar with that. But there are a whole new group in the audience that aren't familiar with the terms, where they originate from. And quite honestly, I want us to have the tools in our scriptures to be able to share with our friends and family when they say, what are you doing? And why are you doing that? That's not what we do on church at church on Sundays. So I would suggest finding an open page in your scriptures and writing the scriptures that we go through today in your actual Bible. So if you're at a family occasion, in love, in kindness, in gentleness, if somebody asks you, you say, hey, let's travel through the Word together and find out who are the people of God. Because I'm a child of Yah. And let's find out who we are, what we are, and what on earth 
we're supposed to be doing. Because quite honestly, I grew up going to Church of England school. I sung in the choir. We had assembly every morning where we would sing carols and do the Our Father. Bible study was part of the curriculum because I went to a Church of England school. I went to church on Sunday. Church to me and Christian and Christianity to me was part of my culture. It was part of my heritage. It had nothing whatsoever to do with faith or belief. It was only when I became saved, when I was 24 years old, I found Yahushua, and I knew him as Jesus then. I didn't, in my mind, become a Christian because my culture was Christian. And if you'd ask many people from where I grew up, are you Christian? They'd say, well, of course, I'm English. So Christian wasn't my identity when I got saved either. I was a Jesus follower, a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ. That's how I identified myself. And then people would say, well, you know, you're actually a Christian. I was like, oh. I mean, I just was like, I'm just on fire and I'm a Jesus follower. And then as I've grown, now I understand my full, full heritage as the Benai Elohim, the children of God. But where do we come from? What is our purpose? And where is this in the Bible? That's what I want to explain because I don't think we should go by the definitions that the Church of England set. I don't think we should go by the definitions of what the Pope would say. I don't think we should go by the definitions of what the culture would say that we are. And I certainly don't think we should go by the definitions of what the government would say you are. Because the Bible defines the Bible, sola scriptura, as Martin Luther said, who on earth are we and what are we supposed to be doing? It's all right here. It's in the word of Yah. So get your pencils out and let's go through a journey. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all benai by emunah. You are all children by faith in the Messiah, Yahushua. For as many as you have been immersed into the Messiah, you have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Aramean nor Greek. There is neither slave. There is neither free. There is neither male. There is neither female. For you are all, what are you? You're all Israel, you are one Echad in Messiah Yahushua. And if you are the Messiahs, then you are what? You are the seed of Abraham. If you're in Messiah, then your identity is found in the Zerah, that's sperm, that's physical, that's multiplicity, the seed of Abraham. We're talking New Testament here. You are the seed of Abraham, and you are heirs according to the promise. What promise? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. You're going to find right here the origin of that promise that Paul was talking about. It's the promise of multiplicity of seed. 
And we live in a biblical worldview of agriculture. Yahushua's going here, going there. There's seed, there's harvesting, there's vats, there's vineyards, there's wheat, there's barley. We live in the worldview of the Bible in an agricultural world because ultimately the redemption of the children of God is a harvest of souls. It's got nothing to do with our modern 21st century culture. It's about harvesting souls in the nations and bringing them into the household of faith where there is going to be a feast and festival of tabernacling together. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, Yahweh said to Avram, get out of your country, away from your family, and from your father's house. How many of us have had to do that? I literally had to do that. Get out of your country, get away from your generations and start afresh. Because who you surround yourself with will affect you. And sometimes those generational lines of iniquitous behavior are so strong that you have just got to change your family. That doesn't mean you don't love your natural family, but if you want to soar in faith, In a sick and apostate world, sometimes you've got to get on the Titanic and cross the ocean. I'd prefer the QM too. That's something maybe I might do in the future here. But it says in verse 2, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, that you shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you. And I will curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, They'll be mixed. The word there means mixed. All the families of the earth will be mixed. And as we can see now, as this promise unfolds in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he says that blessing will be what? You'll be like the stars, the nations, many nations. There's going to be multiplicity. This blessing now that comes across in Genesis, and we see this multiplicity. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. It says that we, Israel, Abraham's seed, is going to possess the strategic choke points or the gates. And we can see later on in Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, 28, verse 13, 35, verse 9. 46 verse 3 and chapter 48 verse 4 that ultimately this promise leads from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob who struggles and wrestles with Elohim and his name is changed to Israel and Israel then adopts the stranger and the foreigner those of mixed lineage in the nations of Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he gives them the title and the entitlement to the name Israel. Let my name, Israel, be upon Ephraim and Manasseh. Was Judah there in the mix? Did Judah get the name Israel? No, they didn't. So Ephraim and Manasseh get the name Israel. So you have to be careful not to get your 20th and 21st century ideas that Judah is associated with Israel when the Bible tells us something totally different. Because otherwise we're politicizing the Bible and the Bible is supposed to affect the politics, not the other way around. We've got to keep it right and we've got to keep it righteous. So... 
we find this blessing of multiplicity. Now, as we go into Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, we're going to see this seed is going to be dispersed. The seed of Abraham is going to be dispersed where? To the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. It's going to be scattered everywhere. And Yahweh said to Abram, Avram, after Lot was separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you shall see, to you will I give it, and to your Zerah Leolam Vayed, your seed forever and ever. I will give it. And I will make your Zerah seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then your seed shall also be numbered. This is the dispersion of the promise. And as we go now over to Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, we see, And El Shaddai said, Bless you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and you shall become a church. This is the birth of the church. So many people will say, well, the the birth of the church happened in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came down at Pentecost. No, the church was born here. That's what the Bible says. The Greek word here in the Septuagint is ekklesia, The Hebrew word is kahal, and it's translated into the English word church. So if you're a student of Scripture, the church was born in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, and it is connected to the seed and promise of Abraham. To say you're a member of the church and you don't do what Abraham does is disingenuous and it is not biblical scripture. You're in a religious tradition of denominationalism and you're not walking in biblical truth. I just said it and I know that offends some people and I don't want to offend people, but it's time for us to, we don't have time to be messing around with religion. I mean, I grew up in a religious culture, and I just came back from there, and it is depressing. It is void of faith. The churches are empty. Europe is, the churches are massive, beautiful cathedrals, and there's nobody in them because people are following religion. If you're going to follow the religion that says the church was born in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to follow the scripture that says the church was born in Genesis chapter 28 verse 3. And I want to be part of these promises. I want to be a part of this faith because the other one will burn and it will not stand and it will turn to nothing but ashes. But this is a foundation of biblical faith. This is who we are. And when things get tough, when our scriptural foundation of faith stands upon the word, then we shall not be moved. This is our identity. So he says, I will make you a church of nations. And El Shaddai will give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which Elohim gave to Abraham. What a powerful game changer. If you're truly, truly looking at the Bible, 
This is a paradigm shift. If you're honest with yourself, it will affect every time that you read about the church in the New Testament. It is a paradigm shift. Because if you believe what the Scripture says, you'll have to change your faith to be in line with the Bible. And that's powerful. That's liberty. And that is the way that we should live. Look at the conclusions of conclusion, excuse me, of Galatians. This is how Paul summarizes to his to the Galatian community. Galatians chapter six, verse sixteen. And as you, as many have their works and walk according to this mishpat, this judgment, peace be upon them, and the mercy be upon the Israel of Yahweh, or the Israel of Elohim, in some of your translations, the Israel of God. So, is the church connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who wrestled with Elohim and his name was changed to Israel, where he then put a blessing on those that came out of the nations, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were the children of Joseph, and his wife was the daughter of the high priest of sun god worship. It was a mixed marriage, and out of that came Ephraim and Manasseh that get the name Israel bestowed upon them. Some of you and myself, we've come out of cultures full of sun god worship, and yet we are brought into the same household of faith, just like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's a powerful faith. It's the Israel of Elohim that you and I are a part of if we're the children of God. Genesis chapter 32, verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We have come to your brother Esau, and also he came to meet with you, and he brought 400 men with him. And Yaakov, Jacob, who is Israel, was greatly afraid, and he was terrified. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, two groups. And he said, if Esau comes to the one camp and smites him, then the other camp that is left shall escape. This is Jacob's first tribulation, the lesser tribulation. His great tribulation was when what? He thought his beloved son Joseph was dead. That was his great tribulation. So this is what's called Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble will precede the great tribulation. And we are told in Scripture that Jacob's trouble will have something to do about where the houses of Israel, Jacob, what does he do? He divides his house into two camps. We just saw that. So when we, in prophecy, come into Jacob's trouble, that is going to be when there's going to be the reunification of the two houses of Israel or the two camps before Jacob's great tribulation because it's going to flip because that's prophecy. Does that make sense? We can see here Jacob divides his house. 
This is called the division of the two houses of Israel, which we're going to learn more about as we go through the Bible. But it's a key point because Messiah Yahushua, in his reformation and redemption, joins back the two. And as Paul says to the Ephesians, he makes one new man. Or Ezekiel says he takes the two sticks and he brings them into one. This is a theme throughout the Bible. But ultimately, the regathering of all of Israel is going to happen at Jacob's trouble before Jacob's great tribulation. Just setting you up because we live in perilous times, perilous times. But the church, where is the church? The church is from Israel's body. Genesis chapter 35 verse 9. And Elohim appeared to Jacob again when he came out of Padam Aram, and he blessed him. And Elohim said to him, your name is Yaakov, but your name shall not be called Yaakov Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And he called him Israel. And Elohim said to him, I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply And a nation, the Hebrew word there is goi, and a church, kahal, the Greek word there, ekklesia, the same word they translate into church, a church in the nations. So Israel, the prophecy is, will become a church in the nations. From Israel's seed, which connects back to Abraham, will become a church in the nation. So, so far, we're seeing that church, that word, and the people associated with it, are totally, utterly connected to Israel, Isaac, and Abraham, without doubt. And that the birth of the church was, in fact, in Genesis chapter 28. So is everybody tracking so far? Because this is foundational biblical exegesis for our faith. Devoid of religion. And that's why I said, open up your Bibles, get a pencil, and write these scriptures down. Because if you want to find out what you, as a member of the church, are supposed to be doing, and where you come from, this is it. This isn't what the Pope said, and this is certainly not what the Archbishop of Canterbury said. It's not what Martin Luther said. It's not what the government says. It's not what the culture says. It's what the Bible says, and it's liberty. Finally, in these days, liberty. So we find now that you shall become a church, and a church shall come from you. And Melachim, kings shall come out of your loins. That's prophecy, because we're going to find, of course, the Davidic line will come later. And the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac to you, I will give it and to your seed. And after it, I will give the land. What about Romans? We just got through the book of Romans. Remember Romans chapter 11 and the 25th verse? Paul was actually pulling, when he communicated to the Romans, he was using this verse, Genesis chapter 49, verse 18, is what Paul was quoting when he read, wrote in his letter, Romans. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. You shall put your right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, 
I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a great people, talking about Manasseh, and he shall also be great. But truly, his younger brother, that would be Ephraim, he's going to be much greater than him. This is the blessing of Jacob over Ephraim and Manasseh. His hand should have gone over on Manasseh's, the firstborns. But no, the blessing hand went upon the younger Ephraim. And he says, and his seed shall become the fullness of the Gentiles. So Ephraim's seed is going to become the fullness of the Gentiles. The Hebrew word there is melo ha-goyim. The very phrase that Paul uses when he's talking about those Christians or the church that's scattered in Rome. He's saying, if you're part of Messiah's body, yes, you're the church, and you connect back to these promises. You're not supposed to get caught up in Roman sun god worship, but you're actually supposed to connect back to the word of Yahuwah and the promises found in there. So I love this because this is truly traveling through history, through the word of Yah. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 11 verse 25 and see it come to life now. For I would not, my Israelite brothers, that you should be ignorant, because this is a mystery. It's still a mystery to 97% of the population. But there's a 3%, the remnant, that are awakening, the awakening of Israel in these last days, that you should be ignorant of this mysterious secret, lest you should be wise in your own pride and conceit, that partial blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations, there's that word, Melochagoim comes in, so that all Israel shall be saved. That's the promise, the promise of multiplicity, but something went wrong. What went wrong? Well, it tells us that we went down into Egypt. Jacob went down in Joseph, Jacob, the whole family, they got bundled down into Egypt. Israel went down into Egypt. There were 75, according to the Septuagint, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. 200 years later, we find, according to the 210 years later, they spent 210 years in Egypt, not according to some um, scholars who say 400 because they don't understand the difference between the promise that was given to Abraham and the actual genealogy. 210 years that Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and then they came up out of Egypt around 600,000 men. That's just men. That's not including women or children. That is then the fullness of the promise, multiplicity within 210 years. That's huge multiplicity, isn't it? Look at that. You can see these promises coming into fruition. Then we have the promise given in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall guard it. We're talking about the Passover. And when the stranger shall sojourn with you and desires to guard the Passover to Yahuwah, all his males must perform circumcision. Then let him come near and guard it, and he shall be who is one born in the land. 
For no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There is one Torah, there's only one law, shall be for him who is native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. This did all the children of Israel as Yahuwah commanded, Moshe and Aaron, so did they. So we have to understand, there's only one Torah, there is only one way to walk when you are the children of Elohim. Now we have a promise in the book of Numbers that's given to us. Numbers chapter 15, verse 14. Did I lose the scriptures on the screen? Oh, I'm good. Okay, just just checking with you guys. Numbers chapter 15, verse 14, it says this. And if a stranger sojourns with you, or whoever is among you in your generations, and you offer an offering made by fire of a sweet fragrance to Yahuwah, as you do, so shall he do. There is one ordinance shall be both for you in the church, the congregation, The Hebrew word there is kahal. The Greek word in the Septuagint is ekklesia. The church is supposed to do the same thing as what? We find right here. And also for the stranger who sojourns with you. There is one ordinance forever and ever in your generation. As you are, so shall the strangers be before Yahuwah. One Torah and one ordinance shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. So, so far on our journey through Scripture, do you see anything going on where this is what the Jews do and this is what the church does? This is what those that don't believe in the Messiah do. But now that we've got the Messiah, we do something totally different and it's all wrapped up in Roman pagan sun god worship. We're not seeing that whatsoever. We're seeing one law for all because you're all supposed to graft into that beautiful olive tree called Israel, right? Just tracking because... Sometimes we have got to, like the prophet Isaiah said, we have got to turn and burn the building down. You've got to tear it down all the way down to the rafters so you can build it back up. We have inherited so much religion through the scriptures, through the mouthpieces up front that didn't do this that didn't take you from the beginning, Genesis, all the way through to the New Testament and say, look, this is what we're supposed to do. If I, When I got saved when I was 24 and I stepped back into a church for the first time in decades, somebody had said, oh, you are now part of the children of Elohim? Let's show you where you come from and who you are. Oh, I would have been set. But instead, the next thing they know, I'm running around trying to cut down a fir tree and drag it into my house. And, you know, what's going on? I don't understand that. Well, we'll find it later on in the Scriptures. Jeremiah told us not to do such things, but we haven't got there yet. So the promises go forth more and more. What about Ruth? What about Rahab? What about Naaman? Were they Jews? What were they? They were 
were just like you and me. Look, they were non-Israelites that were grafted in and welcomed. But according to modern Judaism and according to Christianity's ruling, they would not qualify as being Israel. They wouldn't qualify. According to the Jews in the state of Israel, they wouldn't even qualify. You see, we have to truly change the paradigm, don't we? The promise that is in the Bible is a promise of multiplicity to about the numbers of 4 billion Israelites in the last days. So there's a whole bunch of people that need to wake up, right? 4 billion Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 10. Yahweh your Elohim has multiplied you and see you are this day as the stars of the heaven for multitude. Yahweh Elohim of your fathers will make you a thousand times more than you are now and bless you as he has promised you. That's a serious promise of multiplicity and as Islam is rising and that 200 million man army is rising and the Euphrates is going to dry up and split. Don't you think we need to be that clarion call? That loud voice that says, Hey, believers in Messiah, you need to have a paradigm shift and get back to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because that's a deep well where you shall not, as the Master said, You shan't thirst. You shan't go hungry. And you will bring forth a multitude of blessings to others in the community. So now we're going to find, according to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, turn there, that the boundaries of the nations that we live in today, they are actually set by the number of Israelites that they can support. So America, the boundaries of this nation have been established because within this great nation, as in a large mass, it must house a lot of Israelites that think they're something else because they haven't been told who they truly are. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8. When Elyon divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the nations according to the number of heavenly malachim, the heavenly messengers of Elohim. For Yahuwah's portion is his people, Jacob is his allotted inheritance. The nations, depending on your translations, are divided geographically based upon the criteria of how many of Israel. Israel's exiles that that nation can hold. Based upon that sole criteria, as we can see, Yahuwah allotted a certain amount of land. That's amazing. Different translations will have that, but you can check that out in your own time, that it is according to how many the nations can hold. Because now we're going to go forward into the prophets. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, and you're going to find that as Israel left Egypt, they went into the land. Finally, under Joshua, they went into the land, but they wanted a king because they didn't want to follow Yahuwah. So Yahuwah gave them a king, but that didn't work out too well for them because later the kingdom became divided. 
And again, this goes back to that prophecy of Israel, doesn't it? How he divided the two camps. Now we're going to see this happen in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11. The kingdom is going to be torn from King Solomon. It's going to be torn and it's going to be shredded into ten that's going to go to the north. And two tribes are going to stay in the south. And Yahuwah said to Solomon, Seeing that this is done by you, and you have not kept my writ, my covenant, and my statutes, and my judgments, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servants. Nevertheless, in your days, <coughs> excuse me, I will not do it, For David, your Abba's sake, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son David, my for my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. This is the dispute, of course, after King Solomon had passed away, we have Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and, he's, and there is a division of the camp right there. I mean, he takes counsel in the older men, and they say, no, 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 don't tax as heavily as your king, as your father did. Then he takes counsel in his younger men, and the younger men are like, no, as, as fat as Solomon's fingers was, you're going to tax them even heavier than that. And that's it. Jeroboam says, no, I'm done. And he goes up north, and we have the division of the two houses of Israel right here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11. So the prophecies tell us where this happened was actually in the Galilee. This is where Israel becomes broken. Using an analogy of if your truck becomes broken, where are you going to go to fix it? To the point that it broke, right? If it was the axle that broke, you're going to go to where the axle is to fix it. So if Israel is broken in the Galilee, where is the one that's going to fix it going to go to restore and bring it back to wholeness? Where is he going to preach? Where is he going to start the mission of restoring Israel? Is he going to go up to tell Dan? Is he going to go to Rome and talk to the Pope? Or is he going to start preaching in the Galilee where it broke? He's going to go to the Galilee. And of course, we know the one that restores the whole house of Israel, he starts where it broke. And it broke right here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, that you can see is in the Galilee. Now we're going to get to the garment of Jeroboam, Chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 29. And it came to pass at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the Navi, the prophet Achiah, the Shilomite, met him on the way. And he had prepared himself with a new garment. And the two were alone in the field. And Achiah grabbed the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces, 12 pieces. And he said to Yaravam, Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for this says Yahuwah, the Elohim of Israel. See, 
I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel. So the garment was shredded into 12 pieces. I think I said 10. I misspoke. 12 pieces. And 10 were given to Jeroboam, and 2 remained with Rehoboam. And he won't totally destroy the kingdom for David and for Jerusalem's sake. But now we get what's called the 10 lost or scattered tribes. Now you know where that comes from. Now we come into 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31. Because the problem is now, now that Israel's divided, Jeroboam takes the ten northern tribes of Israel up north, up to Tel Dan. And guess what they get into when they get up there? It's a word, and it means that you take unholy, despicable, profane things from the gods of the nations, and you bring them in, and you mix them with the things of Yahuwah. Do you know what that word is called? Yahuwah despises it, he hates it, and it has nothing to do with the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's something that got Israel cursed, it got them in so much trouble that Yahweh rose up prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them to stop mixing synchristic worship. The word is syncretism. When you take a little bit of Christmas, a little bit of the bare-breasted fertility goddess Easter, and you mix it in with the Bible, and you get rid of the Passover, you get rid of the feasts of Yahuwah, and you start mixing, and you think you're doing it to the one true living God, Yahuwah says that he hates that, because that was the downfall of Israel. Look at it. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31. If you do what they did, you'll end up with Santa Claus, steeples, syncretism, and trees in your living room, cleaning up needles for months, having people around your house that you don't even want around your house, opening (laughs) gifts that you never wanted, and you're thinking, great, what am I going to do with this? As you unwrap more wrapping paper, sit there for bloody hours and going, when am I going to get on the freeway with all the traffic and get home where I can really do what I want to do? My goodness. Do you want liberty? It's called the Feasts and Festivals of Yahweh. I just sit and chuckle about the 20th of December every year as I hear these people moaning and complaining about everything that they've got to do. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going skiing for four days. We're going to be on the slopes. We're not going to be giving any gifts to one another. (laughs) I mean, it's liberty. I love it. I love it. Truly, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31. And he made a house of idols, and he made the Kohanim, the priests, from all of the nations, Amharats, from the land, any tribe. He brought priests forth who were not from the sons of Levi. 
And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast that is in Judah. And he offered up upon the altar, he did the same in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and he placed and appointed in Bethel the priests of the idols' temples, which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised from his own heart and ordained a feast for the children of Israel that he offered upon the altar and burned incense. So here's the biblical definition of syncretism. You take a bunch of pagan idolatry, you bring it before the people, You appoint priests that shouldn't be appointed. And then you say, you know what? Let's not do things the way Yahweh wants them done on his days. But let's make up a feast and festival of our own making on our own date. And let's pretend and do it unto Yahweh. Is that what we're doing today? If you answer yes to that question, then you are caught up in a disingenuous faith, and you're not living for the master the way you should. Not once you've heard this message, because to him who knows the truth is held accountable to that truth. How can you go back when the word tells you to go forward? This is biblical literature right here. This is being what? Awakened as the body of Messiah. So, There is huge responsibility when we're in the Word. Remember what Paul said to the Romans when he wrote that letter in Romans chapter 9, verse 25. He was talking about this stuff. In fact, he quoted from Hosea chapter 2. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 2, verse 16, because Hosea was a prophet that came along, and he was what? He was saying, stop this synchristic worship. If you continue doing this, it's going to affect my life. It's going to affect my life so much that I'm going to have to marry a whore. If you don't get it right, he's going to use my life as a word picture for you. And did Israel repent? No. So Hosea had to marry a whore, and um, his life became a word picture of what happens when you get caught up in syncretism. Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says Yahuwah, that you shall come to me and you shall call me Ishi, my husband, and shall no more call me Baal, the Lord. How many of us have got caught up in a culture where we call the Elohim of Israel the Lord? The Lord, according to Webster's dictionary, is the name of Baal, the foreign god that Israel got caught up in idolatry. So why would we call Yahuwah the name of a foreign god? Because the British, when they did the King Jimmy, they were so far gone anyway that syncretism was just part of the culture. And because the tetranamogram, the yod Hey wah Hey, connects back to what? The Old Testament, Israel, and the patriarchs. But the Lord... That connects back to British landowners. It connects back to kingship realm, where there is what? A governor 
and then there are land labor workers underneath the governor. It's all about submission to authority. Did Queen Mary want them to submit to her authority? When Queen Elizabeth came along, did she want them to submit to her authority? So we have to understand that King James Bible was birthed in the Elizabethan court, and so was the translation. It's all about the way it was structured back in the time of the Elizabethan court. And it was all about what? Kings having dominion over their servants, they were the lords and masters. And it worked, right? But it doesn't work in biblical literature. It's the name of a foreign god. And if you don't believe me, look up the Lord in your Webster's Dictionary. It will tell you it's the name of Baal, the Baal Lord of the Flies. And it shall come to pass, says Yahweh, that you shall call me my husband, and you shall no longer call me the Lord. For I will take away the names of the Lord, the Baalim, out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their names. And in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the air and with the creeping things of the ground. So when Peter had a vision in Acts chapter 10 verse 9, that vision doesn't connect to a pork sandwich. It actually connects to Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, and it's about the restoration of Israel. But we have dumbed it down so much, it connects to a hot dog. Wow. I mean, really? But that's the, that's the, that's the sickening thing of syncretism. You get fat and bloated on what? idolatry. How come we read Acts chapter 10 verse 9 and we don't connect it back to this promise? This is the promise that when Yahweh wants to bring in the nations and make a new covenant, he's going to show you that this is the promise that Hosea went through all of that trouble so that he could be the word picture to restore the fortunes of Jacob. So as we can see now, he says, In that day I will make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them lie down safely. Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 9, verse 25. And of course, he has just experienced Acts chapter 10, verse 9. He's going out to the nations after this. This is all connecting together on this fabulous journey. And you can read further through and it says, verse 19, And I will take for you to me forever and ever. And I will take you back to me in right standing and in judgment and in loving kindness. The centurion, was he restored like this? Right after that? Yes. That's exactly what happened. 
verse 20. And I will take to you to me as a bride in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahweh, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will hear, says Yahweh, and I will hear in the heavens, and they shall hear in the earth, and the earth shall answer with the corn and with the wine and with the oil, and they shall answer Israel. And I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy, Ruchamah, speaking of the, of course, situation that Hosea was in, upon her that not obtained mercy, Ruchamah, and I will say to them who were not my people, lower me, you are my people and me, and they shall say, you are my Elohim. When Paul is communicating to those in Rome, he's saying, hey, the prophecy has come to fruition. Yet out of Rome, we had birthed what? More syncretism, the Roman Catholic Church, and then the Protestants were supposed to be protesting against the Catholics. But did they truly protest and return back to biblical literature and true, true biblical expression of who you are, or did they only pull away from a few of those Catholic traditions and keep a bunch of that syncretism, which you now have today in 21st century church living? We've got to come all the way out if we're going to become all the way pure because he doesn't want us to be standing before him with a spotted garment. And that's spotted. Because Yahweh says, I just want you to worship me the way that I created you to worship me. I've given you my Sabbaths. I've given you my feasts. I've given you my festivals. You want to have health? You want to live a good life? Honor your mother and father so that your life will be long in the land. And when I tell you what's food and what's good for you, do what I say. And don't do what the heathen does. And there's only one people and you all keep one Torah together. So as we go forward further and further, we can see now Hosea chapter 7, verse 28. He tells us that in the end days, when we're scattered into the nations, we're going to be kind of like half-cooked. How many of your friends are kind of like half-baked? And half of that stuff that they were telling me at Calvary Chapel, it was kind of like half-baked. Some of it was true, but a whole bunch of it wasn't. And we ended up half-baked, did we not? This is exactly what Hosea tells us. Ephraim is mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is half-baked. He's a half-baked cake, not turned. Ephraim, he is like a silly dove. Ephraim became synonymous with the ten northern tribes because Ephraim was the strongest tribe out of those ten tribes that were scattered up to the north. So Ephraim and the ten northern tribes is a synonymous term. So Ephraim got scattered into the nations when the Assyrians came in. And they got scattered into the nations, dispersed. That seed got dispersed into the nations, never to return. But Judah, sometime later, they got taken into captivity into Babylon, and they returned after 70 years. But not the ten northern tribes, not Ephraim. They got scattered into the Scythian nations, into Rome, Greece, 
all the way up into the British Isles and over here scattered into America because we know that Solomon had the greatest shipbuilding industry and maritime of the times. And we know that even from some of the land structures that the Native Americans or the First Nations people had before with the Ten Commandments over here in Paleo-Hebrew. So many things you can dig into, but I don't have time to go there. But it tells us that Israel, those ten northern tribes, they got swallowed up by the Gentile nations. Hosea chapter 8, verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the nations. But the problem with Israel as they're scattered into the nations is this synchristic idolatry has always been a problem for us. Why is it still a problem today? When you share this message with people, they're like, oh man, I don't know though, Christmas? Giving up sports on Shabbat? Because all the games are on Shabbat, you know? I mean, I know what you're saying. I know... But my culture is calling me. My peoples are calling me. My home dogs, you know, they're doing all that stuff. They're drinking all that stuff and eating all them hot dogs and chasing after the pigskin. And it's on Saturday. I can't be doing that. I'm just going to go with the culture. Going to go with the flow always going to be. Israel always went with the flow and it got them into a whole bunch of problems. Nothing new under the sun, but there's always a remnant people that take their conversion seriously. So I don't care what's going on. I am not looking back. Yeah, I know the garlic smells good and I really am sick of this manner too. And yeah, you know what? I, 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 I can... Mm, I want some of that meat, but no, I'm going forth into the promised land. I know everyone wants to go back, but I'm going forward. And guess what will happen? You'll be like Moses. The further you climb up that mountain, they'd stop dropping off. And one day you're going to be all alone with those that are devout. Hopefully it's your family, because we are family. And you'll go, what happened to those people? What happened to them? They got swallowed up by the world. The love of the world. Sports. Synchristic worship. All that stuff that is so calls to the flesh. And I'm not above you. I struggle with it daily. We are spirit, soul, and flesh. But the flesh is from the dirt and it cools down to the dirt. Does it not? It's made in the mud and it wants to go right back to the mud. If you've got five people in the flesh and one person in the spirit, where are you going? They're going to try and call you back to the dirt. It's so hard to call the five up to the spirit. But because you were there, it's familiar. I hate that. I hate that about me. I fight that all the time. Because we are a people that got so caught up in idolatry. And when Ephraim spoke, Hosea 13 verse 1 There was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. But when he offended in the Lord worship. Yes, he offended in the Lord worship. He wasn't worshipping Yahweh. He was worshipping the Lord Baal. He lost his power. 
And now they sin more and more, and they have made molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it, the work of the craftsmen, they say to them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. This is, of course, our downfall. But at some point, for me and my wife, we didn't even get the understanding of keeping the commandments of Yahuwah until something happened in our life. It was December the 25th. We, were, we didn't have kids. We were sitting around our Christmas table. I, had, I didn't know. I did some illegal harvesting. I went over to Bend, and I, I, I drove up a forest road, and I was like, that looks good. And I got a big saw, cut it down, and put it on my roof. I, I guess you have to have a permit for that, you know. I didn't know this. I'd just come straight over from England. So we set that blooming massive thing up in our house. You know, we're sitting around. There's just two of us, no kids. Got all this food all over the table, all this Christmas lunch and everything. And we sat down, did we not? And we looked at each other and we were just like what are we doing is is this for just what are we doing we weren't we had no idea about torah just as circumcised of the heart born again believers we're like look at this she used to decorate christmas trees for a living had amazing high dollar christmas tree ornaments you know what we did? We like, I can't do this anymore. This is so self-centered and gluttonous. And she stood up. I stood up. We said, I'm done. We went straight into the kitchen. We got a bunch of paper plates, a bunch of foil, packed the whole stuff up, drove downtown. We just started giving it away to people. Came home, took that tree down, got rid of all of those ornaments. We were done. Three months later, somebody comes into my business, starts telling me about the feasts and festivals and Sabbaths of Yahuwah. We were like, oh, my, we were primed and ready to go. <laughs> we were so, I was like, wow, that's how it began. I got to the end of myself. I was sick. I mean, it was all for me. Gluttonous me. Why? And then came the truth. You've got to be willing to take the steps. You've got to be unhappy with where you are before he'll pour in that revelation. Truly, you've got to know something is missing. I'm sitting there in a pew, shifting around. Oh, my goodness, read the next verse, read the next verse. I am hungry and thirsty, and he says, you shall never hunger and thirst. I am primed. The pump is primed. So when somebody says, hey, look into the Old Testament, look into the prophets, I was like, oh, water for my dry and thirsty soul because I wanted it. You have to want this faith for it to be alive to you. If you don't want it, if you love the world, then you're an enemy of Yahuwah, and you'll never get this. If this does not interest you, then you need to take some serious, serious inventory of where your heart lies. That's the issue. If this is not important to you, then your heart is with the world. Because this is the Bible. I'm done with Christmas. I'm done with Easter. Hosea chapter 14 verse 8. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? When you get to that point, then the fountain wellspring of revelation opens up. But you have to get to that point. I got to that point not because of somebody trying to teach me the Bible, but the Holy Spirit trying to teach me of how self-centered and gluttonous I was. What's going to happen with Israel is that is going to happen to them. Because of this synchristic worship, they're going to be broken off 
Israel is going to be taken into the exile, but we know that Yahusha, the rock of offense, Torah is going to become sealed. They're going to be blind to Torah, but Yahusha is also going to become sealed to them. They're going to become blind to the Messiah. Both houses are going to become blind, and they're going to be offended in part. This is what the prophecy says. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. And it shall be for a place of refuge, but a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many amongst both houses shall stumble, they'll fall, they'll be broken, they'll get ensnared, and they'll be taken captive. Seal up the testimony, seal the Torah, among my disciples, and wait upon Yahweh, who hides his face from the house of Israel. And I will look for him, see, I and the children whom Yahweh has given me for signs and for wonders in Israel, for Yahweh Sevot, who dwells in Har Zion. So the prophecy of Isaiah is you are such a rebellious bunch of Israelites that I'm going to seal up the law, I'm going to seal up the Messiah. I'm going to seal up it all. I'm going to just scatter you off to the nations and let you get sick on it. You're not going to know about any of this. You're going to get so caught up in Papal Rome's Christianity that when somebody talks to you about the law, you're going to be all sealed up about it and you'll go, but I'm under grace. You're not going to want to know anything about it. When somebody starts talking to you about the feasts, you're going to come back at them with Christmas and Easter and say, no, we get to do that now. Passover is for the Jews. You're going to be so blinded to it because you got so caught up in that nonsense that it's going to only be when you want it that he's going to open up the revelation of Torah. He's going to open up the revelation of the Sabbath. He's going to open up the revelation of the feasts and festivals and he's going to get your body temple clean because you're no longer going to be sucking on hot dogs. I mean, this is, I'm I'm, I'm trying to make it a little bit humorous, but it's serious, is it not? And I am passionate because this is my life. I've walked it, I've lived it, and so have you. And it has been a hard, hard journey. A hard journey. Broken off, taken into exile. Yahusha, the rock of offense. Torah, sealed. Yahusha even sealed. I sung about Jesus for 20 years, but I never knew him. Now I know the Messiah because he was no longer sealed to me, but the key is coming to the end of yourself. But we are blind. Both houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, scattered in the nations, Ephraim, we are blind and offended in part. It tells us, that those who thought that they were Gentiles will cling to Israel. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1. For Yahweh will have mercy on Jacob and will choose Israel and set them in their own land. And the foreigners shall be joined with them and they shall cling and they shall cleave to the house of Israel. Because what's going to happen is those in the coastlands, those of us all the way here on the west coast at some point, Those in the coastlands, the west, scattered towards the coastlands, they're going to awaken to his Torah. 
Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4. He has set judgment in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his Torah. Isn't that amazing? People are awakening up to the law of Yahweh, knowing that it is good, righteous, holy, just, and true, according to the psalmist in Psalm 119. It is life. Isaiah tells us that there is going to be a time when Yahweh is going to restore the fortunes of Jacob, who is Israel. And then he said in Isaiah 49, verse 4, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. How many of you have felt that? Totally. Spent my strength and for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is from Yahuwah and my work from Elohim. And now, says Yahuwah who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him through Israel, though is not yet gathered. Yet I am esteemed with glory in the eyes of Yahuwah, and my Elohim shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light, easy and small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you for a light to the heathen that you may be my salvation, my Yahusha, to the ends of the earth. This is the restoring the fortunes of Jacob. And how does it begin? For me, the big building block was around that Christmas table, seeing that, and then the next big building block to me was shutting down my business on a Sabbath, when everybody said, oh, that's the busiest day of the week. But you know what I found out? I found out that I made double the money by being open on Monday because nobody else was. And I was always had short timers disease on Saturday anyway. I only wanted to work from like 10 to 4. But I'd go in on Monday, work from 9 till 6, get out a good day, and I was just swarming. I was afraid to do it. I drug my heels for two months. And then the blessings came. Isaiah says it begins with the Sabbath. That's the first step. If you turn away your own foot, Isaiah 58 verse 13, from doing your own pleasure on my Sabbath day, my holy day, and call the Shabbat a delight, the Kadosh, the holy day of Yahuwah, honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, your own pleasure, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then shall you delight yourself in Yahuwah, and I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Israel. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Part of this journey for me, as you can see by the way I speak now, was a joy and return to his true name. That was part of the journey. And we all pronounce it differently. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or not. And I change and we try and we grow. But we know that his name is yod Hey wah Hey yahweh Yahuwah, Yahuwah. How we pronounce that? We welcome it all because we are trying. But it says in Isaiah 59, verse 19, So shall they fear the name of Yahuwah from the West. So many people, I love it when I hear 
traditional Christian worship using the name Yahweh. You even hear it in sermons nowadays. And 20 years ago you didn't. So people are, even the Sunday pastors are starting to use the name Yahweh. And that to me is a hope and a blessing. Because even though we counted the law a strange thing for some time, now many of us are returning to those wonderful things that are found in his Torah. Hosea tells us in the 11th verse that, yeah, we would count the law a strange thing. Oh, that's kind of weird. You shouldn't be doing that as a believer in Messiah. But no, we should. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, Hosea 8.11, the altars shall be counted to him as sin. I have written to him the great and numerous things from my Torah, but they were counted as a strange thing. How many of us can attest to that at some point in our lives, right? Somebody tries to share a Bible. Well, that's in the law. That's a strange thing. We don't do that. We're New Testament only. No, that's part of the Roman papal system of syncretism. Get back to the whole council. It's one book, one word, one people. But it tells us that we'd get in trouble out here in the nations. That Israel, Israel of the flesh, they would set a table for God and they would start eating pork. And we see nothing more in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. I am sought by them when asked not for me. I am found by those who did not seek me. I said, Hineni, Hineni, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. A rebellious people who walked in their own ways that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provokes me to anger continually to my face. They sacrifice in gardens. They burn incense upon altars of brick who remain among the graves. And they lodge in the monuments. They eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their vessels who say, stand by yourselves, come not near me, for I am more righteous than you. These people are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burns all the day. And many times when you start talking about the Torah and starting to eat clean and proper, people who are being taught in a New Testament only faith turn their noses up at you. Wow, I'm more holy than you. We don't have to do that. We're under New Testament grace only. This is what the Bible tells us will be the reaction. There's a pride with it. You see? There's a pride of knowing that you're safe and secure, that you can just go do your once a week thing and keep on trucking and be a part of the world. And you start sharing biblical truth and there's a turning up of the nose. It's a sad state of affairs, but that's what many of us have had to see and feel over these days but there's going to come a time when this world is no longer going to be the way that you comfortably sit and settle into it it tells us in the bible that there's going to be a time when there's going to be just like the first exodus there's going to be a greater exodus it tells us in jeremiah chapter 16 verse 14 therefore see the days come says yahuwah that it shall no more be said, Yahuwah lives who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but Yahuwah lives who brought the children of Israel from the land of the north, from the lands where he had driven them out. And I will bring them again into their land
hands that I give to their fathers. See, I will send many fishes, says Yahweh, and they shall fish them. And after that, I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them out from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Right now, the gospel is going forth. The true gospel, which is this gospel, a return to the commandments and Sabbaths of Yahweh. That's the gospel that is supposed to fish out the children of Israel from the nations. Would you rather be fished out gently? Or if you're so stiff-necked, then Yahweh will send what? He'll send hunters. Nimrod and Esau. Islam will hunt you out. Hunt you out. Is it better to come in repentance now for the ways that we have been taught and be fished out with the message of the scriptures? Or will you wait until the children of God have been taken into a place of safety and now you're left with the hunters and they will come into the churches on Sunday and they will hunt you out with a drawn sword You have a choice, but that's where it's going. And you'll look around and you'll go, where is that people? They've gone. They have been taken to a place of safety because they were waiting like a bridesmaid with her wick burning. But you foolish, foolish, foolish bridesmaids, you are all gathered in your houses of prayer just singing away Just as Amos says in chapter 5, verse 18, Yahuwah's going like this. Enough, enough. And now you're left with the hunters. Oh, oh, if you had listened. I see it in Europe. It's coming here, and it's coming quick. We have to be a people that is ready, ready, because it says in the 19th verse, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited only lies, only vanity, and things which were of no value. Isn't that true? Man, we inherited a bunch of lies, didn't we? What a bunch of lies. The heathen loves all of these pagan love festivals. Satanists love it. What are we doing? We shouldn't be doing anything that the heathen loves to do when it comes to worship and feasts and festivals. Halloween? People are celebrating that in the church. What's up with that? Wow. Huh? Change the name to Harvest Festival. And that's exactly what you get. Syncretism. Syncretism. It was a harvest festival. If it's a harvest festival, then come to the Feast of Tabernacles. But you can't do that. See? It's just the same as it's always been. Syncretism. Verse 20. Shall a man make gods to himself that are not gods? Therefore, see, I will take the time to cause them to know. I will cause them to know that my hand and that my might, and they shall know that my name is Yahweh. This is all part of this prophecy because there's going to be a greater exodus as we are taken out of the nations, Isaiah chapter 23, verse 3. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them. 
and I will bring them again to their folds, that they shall be fruitful and increase, and I will set up shepherds over them who shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be broken neither shall they be lacking says Yahuwah see the days come says Yahuwah that I will raise up to David a righteous branch a Zadik a Zadik branch and a Melech so now we have a Melech Zadik a Malkit Zedek we have a Malkit Zedek shall rule and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. He's calling out his Malkit Zedek priesthood to be that witness in these last days. And that's why we say, join the priesthood, not a denomination, because a denomination will lead to syncretism. A priesthood will lead to the feasts, festivals, and holy living. It's time to wake up. And it's time to communicate in love and kindness. Not to be a Torah terrorist, but in love and kindness. And the way to do that is just through the Bible. Because people who truly are seeking Yahuwah, they love to read and search the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So finally, as we look and come to the fruition of the Scriptures, we'll get more into this next week, we have to remember when people throw around words like, well, we're in the New Testament. Well, what does that really mean? Where does that come from? The New Testament comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. And if you don't believe me, go to the New Testament and find the New Testament in Hebrews quoting the Old Testament, that the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. If you don't believe me and you don't want to read it in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8, and it talks about the New Testament is actually a prophecy that was given to, to um, Jeremiah. So we have to understand biblical terms have roots and anchors. They're not abstract. It's not out here. It's concrete. It's solid. It's connected to something always connected to Israel, always connected to the church, which is, of course, the promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 28. So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says, See, the days are coming, says Yahuwah, that I will make a new testament, a Brit Hadashah, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Who's it going to be with? Anybody different? Nope. Portuguese? Nope. Puerto Ricans? No. Getting close there. No. (laughs) No, it's going to be with the house of, what does it say? House of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Which covenant they broke. Although I was a husband to them, says Yahuwah. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahuwah. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their Elohim. They shall be my people and me. 
They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they shall all know me. Meaning, the Holy Spirit's going to come into you, awaken you to who you are, that you're part of the whole house of Israel, that you're to be in the New Testament, which connects you to Ephraim, Israel, and Judah, and that your heart is going to burn for the commandments and the law of Yahweh, just like it says in Psalm 119. Is that happening? It's truly happening to those of us that spend our time in the Word on our knees and truly look into our life and say, I'm done with me. I want more of you. And the way I find more of you isn't by going and listening to the rhetoric. It's by picking up His Word in the quiet early hours and seeing whether these things are truly so. Isn't that the way? The truth and the light. The New Testament is going forth because in the last days, Israel will awake in the church and join with Judah, the true Jewish tribe. Look what it says here in Isaiah, Jeremiah, excuse me, chapter 50, verse 1. 50 verse 4, in those days and in that time, says Yahweh, the children of Israel shall come and they, the children of, Je- of Judah together, going and weeping and they shall seek Yahweh, their Elohim. And many people go, what are you talking about these two houses of Israel business? Well, we've seen a lot of scriptures that do talk about them. But look what Zechariah says in the fourth chapter and, of course, the third verse. Two olive trees by it upon the right side of the bowl and upon the left side of the bowl. And, of course, we know we've got two olive trees. We've got two houses, two nations, two chosen families, two witnesses, two olive branches, two sticks, two backslidden sisters. I mean, it goes on and on and on, talking about, through analogy, prophecy, and the word of Yahweh, that, hey, wake up. The two houses of Israel are going to be joined back in when the crucified and risen Messiah's work of redemption goes out to the nations. It's a regathering. That's what the Bible's about. You see, we've become so divorced from our biblical roots that we're stumbling through a forest of Christmas trees, tripping all over ourselves and ending up wallowing in the mire with the pigs. Is that not true? And now we're getting cleaned up. And I'm so excited that we are doing that because the way we're getting cleaned up is by the worker with wood, the great carpenter himself. We know that the worker in wood, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, The word of Yahweh came to me, came to me saying, Moreover, you, son of man, take one piece of wood and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his friends. Then take another piece of wood and write upon it for Joseph, of course, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, a piece of wood for Ephraim and for the all the house of Israel and his friends, and join them one to another into one piece of wood that they shall become one in the Messiah, Yahushua's hand. Of course, I'm paraphrasing prophecy and bringing it forward in the Messiah. And when the children of your people shall speak to you, saying... Will you not show us what you mean by these? 
That's all I wanted to do today, is just show you through the word, this great faith that we have. I feel so just amazed and blessed and privileged to be able to share it. I get choked up because this is powerful. For thousands of years, this has been hidden. I'm not a Christian in the Church of England. I'm the same as I always was from the moment I got converted. I'm a Yahusha follower. I'm a disciple of Messiah. And I am part of the Israel of Elohim. And that is the Israel of Elohim that connects all the way back to the church that was born in Genesis chapter 28. But I know that I struggled with syncretism. I know that I counted the law a strange thing. I know I got caught up in idolatry. I know that I inherited all that Catholic, Protestant stuff, and I mixed it all together. But you know what? He redeemed you. He redeemed me. And he's transforming us, not by the words of men, but by the Holy Spirit. No one shall say to the other and go teach, but the Holy Spirit will be within you. And either the words that I'm saying today, the Spirit will confirm them as truth, or the words that I'm saying today, the Spirit and the Word will confirm them not. But I shall be found by the Spirit that testifies within you is the same Spirit that's in me because we're in the Word on our knees and we go... I am Israel, high life. We join back together for a love of his Sabbaths, his feasts and his festivals, and we start to get healthier because we're not eating the way the nations would have us eat. You don't want to eat prison food, right? Come on, get real, get right, and let's live righteously questions, comments. We'll dig more into this next week, but I hope this is something that in love and kindness, we can open up our Bibles, we can go through these pencil notes and say, hey, let me just walk you through the scriptures. Do you have an hour and a half? (laughs) You know? Anyway, in the back, yes. Yes, um, we did have uh, two two or three questions, a bunch of comments, and uh, we had a little conversation. Uh, Somebody came in and said that uh, the Messiah has not come. And then we had some that said that we are still under the law. So maybe we can go into that. But the first question is, um, what does Melech mean and what is Zadik? Because you said the word, but what does I'll it say, mean? Melech, Melech is king, Zadik of righteousness. So Melchizedek, how we used to say it in the church, or Melchizedek means our king is righteous. Our king is righteous. It's really taking Melech, king, and Zadik, righteous. But Malkitzedek means our king is righteous, or our the, king is righteousness. The next question is, um, could you give a simple answer to what it means to be, we are not under the law, but under grace? Ah, right. We are, <clears throat> interesting, great question. We are not under the book of the law. We are under grace. So there's a division between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. They're not synonymous. We're not under the book of the law because the Messiah has redeemed us from the curses of the book of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 
10 and 16, we are now empowered by grace because grace is what empowers you to keep the commandments, the covenant commandments of Yahuwah in a sick and twisted world. So I hope that answers you. We are supposed to be keeping the covenant commandments of Yahuwah. We're not supposed to be under the hammer of the book of the law, which was, of course, after the golden calf breach. That wasn't quick and easy, though, was it? Any other questions, comments at all? Well, Abba, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Abba, what you've done and are doing in the nations as you regather the scattered children of your pasture. Abba, we pray that as this word goes forth, that it will truly strike a chord with many in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen? Amen.